Hello and welcome to another episode of Teacher Needs a Drink Podcast. I am Elvis, your host, and I'm here to let you know that this is a not safe for work podcast. We are teachers at the end of the week and really the end of our ropes, and we'd like to be able to talk honestly and openly about education, so we'll be using pseudonyms throughout the podcast so we don't, you know, lose our jobs or put them in danger, hence the Elvis. Now, this is our not typical episode. This is a very special episode. This is our Teacher's Guide to ADHD, where we talk about diagnosing your own children, your students, or even yourself with ADHD, a lot of the things that go along with it. And we have a lot to thank with our help of a very special guest today, Miss Leslie Evans of V2 Advocacy. If you're interested in learning more about her, look up at V, like Victor, two, like the number, advocacy on Instagram or TikTok, and you can learn all kinds of things about her. She is an amazing woman and a great resource to have in your corner. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon patrons who are out there and supporting us. You too can help us and love us and, you know, support us by joining the Patreon. If you like this podcast and often want to hear more from us, join our Patreon. For as little as 5 to $10 a month, you get access to over 96 different special episodes, audio content, all kinds of things that are on there. You also get access to special watch parties. You can live stream recordings when we're doing them. And also you get to join our amazing Facebook group that's only for patrons. That's very loving and supporting. And it's a great place. I love it so much. But I want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon patrons right now. So here we go. Big thank you to Mistress Mischief, Natasha S, Miss Anthropy, Princess Buttercup, Dragon Lady, Sunday L, Kelsey, Nicole B, Shannon E, Helena, C, Erin B, Stephanie S, Maggie M, Texas Teacher Kristen, Miss Sunshine, Hattie F, James Nally J, Jody D, Samantha D, Lisa C, Rachel, Jen Jeannie, Exhausted Band Director, Kimberly K, Kim K, Jessica A, Swiffle Ev Owners, Amanda F, Ariana L, Physics Runner, Steph, Science Teach 17, Michael M, William P, Aldridge T, The Scorpionita, Britt M, Iron Swine, Noel R, Teresa H, Biker Teach, Marsha M, Christina B, Miss Alabama, Kristen B, Jason F, Amber H, Abby B, Sarah B, Regina N, Josie S, Sam B, Lucy P, Mary E, Jamie B, Red the Violin, Kristen W, Vanessa J, Mary C, RJR, Kristen C, Johanna H, Space Panties, Irma A, Nimi, Melissa M, and Sarah N. Thank you guys so much for supporting us and loving the podcast. Now, as I said, this is a very special episode, and so I hope you guys enjoy it. Now, there is one thing I want to make a quick comment on. Last week, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, and I just have to say, I am incredibly disappointed. I entirely support a woman's right to choose what she does with her body. I believe she has a right to do, and this is healthcare. And I'm not going to say anything more about that, because honestly... I think it's as simple as that. If you're a woman, you should have the right to choose what happens to your body and what your body goes through. We shouldn't have punitive things because someone doesn't like it. All right, enjoy the episode. Here we go, Teacher's Guide to ADHD. Would you mind? Is it, shall I do the thing? Please do the thing. Okay. Balls, 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 balls. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Teacher Needs a Drink Podcast. I am Elvis, your host. And today I'm joined by many lovely people, starting off with our social media extraordinaire, Zola Zanzibar. Hello. Also with us today, Count Chocolate. Greetings from the chocolate one. 
Also with us today is Miss Bunny O'Hare. Hey, Elvis. Hey, folks. And last but not least, we have Shirley Temper. This doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring, getting to know you chit-chat. This sounds like you have something to say. I have no idea. What's it from? Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Oh, Well, today, friends, we have a special guest because we're making a special episode. Today is going to be our teacher's guide to ADHD. And today we have special guest Leslie Evans. For the past 20 years, Leslie's managed, taught, and advocated for children, both neurodivergence and neurotypical. As a person with ADHD and a parent of two children on the autism spectrum and ADHD as well, she intimately understands the struggle a person with a disability may face and the parent's unique role to help their children overcome disabilities. Everyone, welcome specialist child advocate, Leslie Evans. Yay! Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, Leslie. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're able to join us today. And so, my friends, before we go into personal stories and before we talk about a bunch of the other stuff, let's talk about ADHD. Um, ADHD is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders that are being diagnosed in childhood. It's usually the first diagn- it's usually first diagnosed in childhood and often lasts into adulthood. Children with ADHD may have trouble paying attention, controlling impulsive behaviors. They may act without thinking about what the result will be, or they might just be super overly active. And now it's normal for children to have trouble focusing and behaving at one time or another. However, children with ADHD do not just grow out of these behaviors. The symptoms continue and can be severe and can cause difficulty at school, at home, with friends. Um, A lot of the common, common symptoms is it might be described as a child is daydreaming a lot. They forget or lose a lot of things. They squirm or fidget. They talk too much. They make careless mistakes or take unnecessary risks. They have a really hard time resisting temptation. Sometimes they have a really hard time taking turns or getting along with others. And the thing is, there are so many different types of ADHD. There's at least three documented ones. And I'm sure there's lots of variations. That doesn't even talk about, you know, females. But we'll get into all that in a second. But first, I want to talk about our experiences with ADHD. I want to talk with each of our hosts, our guest, Leslie. Um, Myself, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was seven, eight, and several other things. I was one of the, you know, original Ritalin kids in the late or early 90s, late 80s. I hated it as a kid. However, when I was taking the medicine, my grades were good. I got a lot of stuff done, but I felt like a zombie on Ritalin. I could not stand it. I remember my friend saying, wow, you can tell when it wears off Elvis because he'll just be sitting there like staring and all of a sudden he'll be bouncing off the walls. And I, once I was, think I was 15 or 14, I said, I'm not going to take this anymore. I don't want to. And my grades you know, did go down and I might've discovered marijuana about the same time. But, um, that's me as an adult. I realized at some point I do have ADHD. It did not just go away. And so I've been taking Vyvanse off and on for about a year or two. And for me, that's a wonder drug. I like it a lot more than what Ritalin or Adderall does, but that's just me. I would like to hear some of your other stories. Miss Bunny, what can you tell us about your experiences with ADD or ADHD? (laughs) Um, so I grew up, I, when I was in elementary school, middle school, back in the dark ages, they thought that hyperactivity was something that only boys got. 
and I was not a hyperactive kid. My problem was that, uh, let's see, for example, in first grade, I had to change my color literally every single day, not because I was a behavior issue in class, but because I didn't get my work done. In second grade, I remember my teacher, like, constantly moving my seat, trying to find a spot where I would be able to get my work done and focus. And anytime I got up for a Kleenex, I took like the longest route around the room. And I always had homework when no one else did, because again, I didn't get my work done. Um, I wasn't hyper. I was never a behavior problem. I made excellent grades, but in fourth grade, my mom went to a parent conference and the first, the literal first thing out of the teacher's mouth, like before she even introduced herself was the problem with Bunny is that she piddles around. I like when they started talking about, oh, it looks like girls, you know, get this too. And there's such a thing as like inattentive type ADHD and stuff like that. I, I remember being in the car with my mom and listening to a thing on the radio. And I said something about that sounds a lot like me. Like, mom, do you think I might have? And she just started laughing. She was like, honey, oh, honey, your textbook. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with it. I've never been officially diagnosed, but all of the signs are there. I, I feel that way about my daughter. Once I learned about different types of ADHD and how it presents in women and girls, that's so much different than boys. And we'll talk about that. But once we had the thing, I was like, oh, a lot of women who were presenting with these symptoms in the 60s or 70s or 80s or even 90s were just kind of considered ditzy or flighty yep. or forgetful. And it was like, no, this is the same thing the boys have. It's the same, you, same drugs too. But yeah, it's just different symptoms. And, and I wonder, like my ex-wife, when she was learning about the symptoms, was like, oh, I think I might have. I'm like, yeah, no, my art's a miracle. Both of our children don't have it. But that's, that's interesting. I, I'm happy to hear your story. Um, Zola, tell us your interactions with this. Um, well, I didn't have any real interactions with ADD or ADHD until I had my son. And in about kindergarten, like, not even the end of the fall semester. I remember talking with her um, and his teacher, who's lovely, was like, um, he has a little bit of a trouble paying attention. And I was like, okay, yeah, because he's five. Like, And he was a younger five because um, he turned five right before school started. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. He's, he's five. And then towards the end of the year, she's like, I think you might want to look into just getting him tested. She never said ADHD or ADD or anything. She just noticed and she was telling me like what she did in order to help him in classes um, as far as like moving him next to her because he's a big teacher pleaser, but he just, he can't focus um, and keep checking in with him. And she's doing all the things that eventually became his accommodations. Um, and then it wasn't really until she showed me some of his testing scores because um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with anybody having ADHD, but I just didn't see it because he was my only kid. I didn't know. He just seemed like he was just five. That We just spent all day saying, did you do this? Did you do this? Over and over and over again. Um, but it was, he had scores, I guess it's for his map scores. Um, she did, and she did some testing that showed that he had a, like a 60 point difference between when she was sitting with him and when he did it on his own. And we're like, oh, that's a problem. So um, we went and got him tested and um, got him accommodations. He had a 504, and then we eventually got him an IEP um, in about second or third grade. But 
in the process of doing that, um, we also had him a psychological testing and had discovered he had convergence insufficiency, um, which he has a problem with his eyes and text moving around, and that's apparently like comor- comorbid with ADHD. Um, there's a lot of things apparently that's comorbid with ADHD. Um, and but in doing all of this, I kept noticing things that was you know, a little familiar as far as the attention and daydreaming and hyper-focusing on fun things. And so I eventually went to my doctor and she said, you know, let's go ahead and get you tested. Um, Because she said most of her patients that she has ADHD, their kid has it and it starts bringing up stuff. Um, And so I got tested. Um, and I had my mom tell me, oh, that, you know, everything with him was, oh, you did that when you were little. You did that when you were little. Well, now I know why I did that when I was little. Oh, boy. Because, <laughs> you know, she's like, that's normal. That's normal. And, um, and yeah, everything he does is normal. But it's like he's, you know, seven but on steroids. He's like eight or on, you know, it's just he can't stop. He does normal th- kid things. He just can't stop you know, losing focus or, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, so I got diagnosed. Um, I am using off-label um, Wellbutrin. Um, actually, for that um, and anxiety, started it right before the pandemic. Um, Shirley, I know you don't have any direct experience, but as a teacher of so many years, surely you've experienced ADHD in the classroom. So, Shirley, um, yeah, will you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what your experience is? Well, I've, I've certainly, because I've been a teacher, certainly had students with um uh, all kinds of modifications. Um, everything has been pretty textbook. I'm actually here for <laughs> for my own reasons. My father had um, has ADHD, and when I was growing up, when he got on Ritalin, it was a life changer um, for him. And he had to stop taking it because it affected either I can't remember if it was like blood pressure or cholesterol so he's not on anything anymore I may or may not suspect that there are people in my household with ADD and ADHD and I am very curious to hear what's up so that I might know how to proceed from there (laughs) allegedly allegedly that's important and then count what about you? I know you said you don't have any personal experience with having ADHD or any of your family members, but you've been in this game and you're a counselor. I'm sure you've been to countless ARD meetings. I, you've had to have been touched by the students in your classroom. Yeah. Um, I always see a lot of students who I'm there kind of when they get that like initial, I guess you would say diagnosis. And then also when they first try, um, that first medicine. I always, you know, when you have the conversation that's ongoing with the student, with the parent, and you want to know what it looks like, what it feels like, um, what time do you take it? How often do you take it? Um, what happens on a day if you don't take it? Um, what do we look for if, you know, this is the case or so, so I, I kind of get to see a student beforehand. You see them when they first try something. And then you also get to see if they are like, they run out of medication because sometimes you get students that like, yeah, uh, I haven't yep. taken my meds for two or three days uh-huh. or any of those types of levels of like change. And then also you get a student that comes and says, I feel um, fill in the blank. I feel great with this. I feel like I can focus. I can conquer the world. Um, or I feel miserable with this. This is jacking up. <laughs> you know, this is this is changing the way I feel. I don't feel comfortable with it. So um, while it hasn't directly affected my household, 
I see it on a day-to-day basis and the meetings. Um, and then I've also played a part in the testing that students do with it um, just to kind of see where it's at. And you, you try to find a good fit for everyone. Um, but I, I, it is good to, to learn more about it, which is why I'm pretty excited for this. And then one of the things you already mentioned that there's more than three different, there's like three different kinds or there's more than one type of ADHD and most people aren't even aware of that. So I think it's good to know. Sorry, I muted myself instead of unmuting myself. No, I think it's very important to know. And I'm glad all of you guys are participating. And now I want to get to kind of the the main course. We have Miss Leslie Evans, uh, a woman, like I said, who is a student and family advocate. She's attended thousands of ARDS. Ooh, I hear some pretty birds out there. She's attended thousands <laughs> of ARDS, and she's assisted with many of these meetings and helping parents get the resources they need for children who have ADHD, sometimes to educate the schools or at least to tell the schools, hey, you're not doing the shit you're supposed to be doing. Get it together. But Leslie, can you go ahead and tell us about your experience with uh, ADD or ADHD? Oh, yes. Okay. So let me see if I can condense as much as possible. I would say that I was probably more in the category of what they call combined type. And that is where you display hyperactivity as well as, for example, the daydreaming. Um, To make it uh, extra fun, I like to say, a little spice, I went to Catholic school for part of that time. Um, So um, we're talking, you know, a very different environment. Um, My dad was Army. And so there's just a lot of moving around in the middle of all that. So I didn't get identified through my academic schooling, actually my academic schooling, a little redundant, um, through my academic career. Um, In addition to that, uh, I was always told to be like, act like a lady, for example, because I was considered very tomboyish and um, kind of that that kid that was like, you know, getting their hands dirty, rolling around feisty. So sometimes girls can display kind of more that look and still not get identified. Um, but maybe it was also because I was born in the eighties. <laughs> um, schooling got very hard when we moved to Texas. Um, and that's where things kind of became more noticeable. My dad and mom tried advocating for me quite a bit and I was, uh, put with a label of having a learning disability. And I'm so excited that comorbidities were mentioned. Um, I believe it was by Zola, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. Okay. (laughs) And uh, there are so many, which um, it's very much a niche that goes into play often with um, advocacy because a lot of times that has to kind of be um, taken into account when when you're advocating for a student. And so anyway, excuse me, uh, I actually was a young, uh, not a young adult. I was in my thirties. Uh, I was a mom of two little ones and a teacher myself when I realized I should probably get testing. Uh, and much like I've discussed with you all in the, um, earlier, there's sometimes shame and you question even yourself of like, do I want to bring this into, um, in front of a, a doctor because you question what their thoughts are going to be on that. So that was a little bit of my journey of, you know, kind of taking those steps and I don't want to say accepting, but kind of not dismissing some of the characteristics that I had that were pretty blatant in front of my face. (laughs) 
I hear that. I, I feel that on a very deep level. And I'm glad you're here. Well, now that we've kind of covered our own personal experience with these, let's talk about some of the different types of ADD. And really, there's three types, and two are specific, and then one's really not at all. Okay, so the first type is predominantly inattentive presentation. It is hard for the individual to organize or finish a task, to pay attention to details, or to follow instructions or conversations. The person is easily distracted or forgets details of daily routine. Um, the inattentive version isn't usually the most commonly presented. It's not the one that you think of when you think of, you know, little boys bouncing around the room. Um, Leslie, can you give us some insight into some ways we might notice the inattentive presentation in a student in the classroom or some way it might present itself, maybe even in a teenager as opposed to like an elementary school kid? Oh, so that's where it gets really interesting in my opinion. And I don't know if I can articulate it super well. Um, I feel like it comes out in so many different ways because uh, in a classroom, it starts to become, you are, you see other behaviors that kind of follow it, you know? Um, of course, you know, we talked about kind of that. I, <laughs> I was an elementary school teacher, but I also worked with teens in various capacities and I do work a lot with teens currently. Um, but you know, that look that they get when they're not listening on the carpet or when you're teaching in the classroom for, for high school's, uh, teachers, it's that look, that glazed look. And even if they're nodding, there's a look in their eyes. Um, it's the forgetting of the assignments, um, constantly forgetting and making excuses, um, for it. And you're like, this kid is straight up lying to me at this point, And I know they are. And you don't understand why they're giving you those behaviors. They're often your kids who are either inattentive ADHD or, of course, anxiety, or they come hand in hand a lot of times. Um, if they want to be able to remember, or, and I'm trying to explain this, or they've gotten to a point where they don't care because they just can't attend to it. They can't get it to work. They haven't figured out the system um, they have, they have, they don't have the right support to get that going. And it seems like an excuse, but it's not, they just don't have the right support system. They haven't learned how to do it, or they have somebody who's not built those skill sets with them to accommodate their ADHD. And I'm not saying somebody do it for them, but has not taught them the skill sets that to work and accommodate with their ADHD. I see a lot of behaviors that kind of follow and trickle behind them. <laughs> like the lying or the work avoidance, that's a huge one too. So I guess I see more of the behaviors too that follow it. I can speak to this a lot because like I said, my daughter has inattentive uh, where presents as inattentive. And for a long time, I was kind of in my head thinking like, are you fucking with me? I literally right. just <laughs> told you these instructions. Are you trying yes. to piss me off? Are you just like, are you in a mood? Why? I just said, put these here. You were making eye contact and you didn't get it. Oh, and give them three, three give them three steps. They'll do one and half the other and not at all the third. Yeah. And they'll just kind of wander off because they forgot or they weren't sure and they didn't want to get it wrong. So they didn't want to do the wrong thing. And so they just waited or didn't do anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I see that with lots of students where it presents more that they just, it's not that they can't remember. It's like they literally cannot hold that thought there. And it's, it's stressful as a parent. However, with school facilities and a lot of resource, we have made a lot of leaps in progress in her schoolwork and how well she's able to focus. And some of the things we've done is a lot of lists 
and charts where she can see step by step. When it comes to daily routines, we have things posted like in the bathroom, like we wash our face, we brush our teeth, we brush our hair, like all the things you do before when you wake up or when you go to sleep. And she has those at school too. Like when we come in, this is this and this. And she's a highly, highly, highly smart child, but she just can't hold it. And it's once I started seeing, I was like, oh, she is not trying to be a pain in the ass. She's not trying to be disruptive. She literally just can't. And so, and Leslie even just sent a note, neurodivergent can often be gifted. Yes, I believe she is gifted because her creativity is off the charts. All right, next up. Second one is predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation. Um, the person fidgets a lot and talks a lot. It is hard to sit still for long, e.g. for a meal or while doing homework. Smaller children may run, jump, or climb constantly. The individual feels restless and has trouble with impuls impulsivity. Someone who is impulsive may interrupt others a lot, grab things from people, or speak at inappropriate times. It is hard for the person to wait their turn or to listen to directions. A person with impulsiveness may have more accidents and injuries than others. <laughs> um, this one's me. Uh, this was me as a kid. I fidget. I talk. I have a hard time sitting still. Um, I have. A, I had a hard time with impulse control and restlessness. A lot of this I did grow out of, but if I read interrupts, grab, well, I don't grab things, but I do tend to speak at inappropriate times and um, say inappropriate things just because it's impulsive. That, that, that's me. That's a lot of people. And if you have primarily inattentive, it might not display as that. But however, there's a mixed, beautiful third kind. Miss Bunny, will you read that? <laughs> Bunny, can you hear me? I haven't received a link. Or the oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, that was me because I got distracted. So boom, Oops. boom. <laughs> the combined right type. It's it the beauty. Combined presentation. Symptoms of the above two types are equally present in the person. Yeah. And that's a real thing too. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, oh shit, that could be me. Or that describes my child. Or that describes the kid in my second grade class. Because it probably does. And one of the things it does say on the CDC site is that because symptoms of this can change over time, um, the presentation can change over time as well as students or the individual gains certain skills or certain coping mechanisms, whether they were prescribed by the school or an advocate or they just kind of self-discover. A lot of kids, especially with technology now, are very, very adept at you know, finding their own solutions and resources. Uh, my daughter who also, I'm going to keep talking about her cause she is my touchstone to the subject as well as myself. But when it comes to her and dyslexia and a lot of other things, she was able to just find speech to text and text to speech and all these little modifications that she could do on her own before the school even got involved. And so that was kind of a godsend for what we have out there. And before we go into more, I want to talk about some of the potential causes of ADHD um, these are not set in stone. I'm literally reading this off a CDC website because it's the most, I feel, the most fact-checked that we can have at the moment, though I know there are lots of verifications. And one other thing I want to say as we go into this, none of the hosts in this podcast, including myself, are medical doctors. If you do feel that you are worried that you or your child might have this, please consult a professional. Do not just go off the basis of what we have. You can use this to go and find more information, but please do not use this to diagnose yourself. So here we go. 
Causes of ADHD. Scientists are constantly studying causes and risk factors in in an effort to find better ways to manage and reduce the chances of a person having ADHD. The causes and risk factors for ADHD are unknown, but current research shows that genetics plays an important role, and recent studies link genetic factors with ADHD. In addition to genetics, scientists are studying other possible causes and risk factors, including brain injuries, Exposure, exposure to environmental risks like lead during pregnancy at a young age, alcohol or tobacco use during pregnancy, premature delivery, low birth weight. Now, research does not support the popularly held view that ADHD is caused by eating too much sugar, watching too much television, parenting, social or environmental factors such as poverty or familiar chaos. However, many things, including these, might make symptoms worse, especially in certain people. But the evidence is not strong enough to conclude that any of those are the main causes of ADHD. Um, Well, I will say that when um, we initially started this because I didn't have any experience or nobody in my family, although they probably should have been diagnosed, um, when there was a lot of... um, and I know it shouldn't happen, but it was a lot of weird blame because I did look up, you know, on the CDC when we first got it, like what could it, you know, what could it cause this? Because it's not the end of the world, but I just like to get more information. Um, and, you know, like you, weird stuff can flash through your brain on, you know, what you may have done or, you know, like I thought, you know, my son was breech and he had the cord around his neck twice. I'm like, did something happen? You know, and um, it's... It's interesting, you know, that when we were growing up, all of it was like sugar and, you know, you know, they just didn't have a good home life. And, um, you know, and I'm curious to see like studies as it goes forward, like what they actually may come up of stuff, if it's completely genetic or, you know, all the additional factors. I was an avid reader on similar subjects prior to having my children. But it's funny, no matter how much you read about facts and information in that field, I completely agree with Zola, you start going into your head like, oh, that one time I tripped and fell. And even though I went or, you know, and even though I went and had everything checked out, um, maybe these things cause the additional problems that my child's struggling with. It's like we want control over the situation, right, in some way. Um, And I think that even though it was not necessarily a positive, for me, it was some things, other health things that had gone on with my kids. Um, Even though it wasn't necessarily a positive thing, it's like I was looking for a reason. And so I completely relate to that. Um, but one of my favorite books that I read and I cannot remember the author was it was like myths about children. And one of the things they actually address is that sugar makes you hyper. Um, of course, anything in excess is not healthy for us. Right. Um, even if we drink too much water, we can drown ourselves, but I completely relate to what she's saying about you start going back to everything you did and thinking, what could I have done differently to possibly reduce issues? Yeah, you just don't want to think that the reason your kid is having a hard time is your fault. Um, and it's not. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you have to realize that. It's not, but it's hard to it's hard to get that, especially in that first initial diagnosis, because also we were looking at other factors and it wasn't completely nailed down yet. And so you just didn't know um, how much they would struggle. Um, I was sitting there when you started naming off they're looking into whether these other things may be a factor. I was like, no, no, no. Like very, very stable home life. My mom didn't smoke or drink when she was pregnant with me, like some of those things. So I'm, 
I am interested, especially now that I have the foo-foo, um, I am interested in the possible genetic components of it so that we might anticipate, you know, if that's might be something that she's going to experience. You know, you bring up something valid. I think they're just trying to make sure that there aren't other factors that could have had an impact on your child and that there aren't, that there isn't something else. But when you're being asked all those questions, I think it does kind of work on your emotions a bit. It's hard not to be defensive when they're asking questions and you start to question your own parenting. Like, well, wait, 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 no, no, no. We have a healthy diet. We try hard. We only do so much TV. We don't, we limit, squ- we limit screen time. I don't let them watch Caillou. <laughs> of why, like, because as a parent, it, it just sucks because you want the best for your child. As a teacher, you do too. You want the best for your students. And, it's really hard and frustrating when you just can't. And so it's really hard just from the parental side not to either take it personally or not to get defensive. Count, have you ever dealt with that when you're in an ARD meeting or anything like that when you guys bring it up to the parent is either taking it the wrong way, one way or another? Do you have any tips for not getting the parents pissed off? (laughs) I think one of the things that helps is – like no educator like on our school staff is the one that says like oh well here's what we've discovered like now they they either see a psychologist or they see um again like their general practitioner first and they start doing surveys and kind of do like an inventory of of symptoms signs and feelings and, and you know kind of how that manifests but um we always lead with or at least from the counselor standpoint i tell parents all the time I have students that are diagnosed with ADHD that have a 4.5 GPA and their highest ambition is to head to college and they want to be a CEO. I have students that are diagnosed that um, want to go to the army. I have students that, you know, have ADHD who um, have started their own businesses at 16 and 17. So it doesn't mean that they're, they're disqualified for anything at all, present or future. Um, and so the, the approach is normally, um, finding the best way to help, uh, students foster their growth, um, continue to maximize their potential and to help kind of like regulate and provide a little bit of understanding for how they're feeling and what might be the answer to some of the questions they've had about like, why is it so hard for me to sit down and read for an extended period of time? Or why is it so difficult for me to focus in class? Why am I so easily distracted? Um, so I think that approach, that approach um, gives off the vibe of like, hey, we're in this together. We're all trying to help support your child. Um, and so that does that pretty well with some students. And then, you know, with other parents, they're like, well, I got it too. So now we're just trying to help my kid. <laughs> so um, depending on the parent, uh, you know, you, you handle it. You, we don't get a lot of like blame put on us. Uh Oftentimes, there's a lot of questions of like, how come we didn't find this sooner? Or what took so long for someone to come to this conclusion? And, you know, being that, you know, I see students for a couple of years, it's like, well, we we just now are privy to this kind of information. Your child just told us that this is how they're feeling and, and then we can kind of act upon it. So um, try to come from a stance of a, it's a collaborative effort. And that we're, you know, that that goal is to make sure we can help 
and aid students as much as possible in their educational journey right now. And then also once they're out of our schools. Well said. I think for some parents, I think for a lot, it's almost a relief when your student or yourself or your child gets diagnosed because they can say, okay, they're not just slow. They're not just being difficult on purpose. There is an actual reason for this. And then once you have the reason, you could proceed to doing modifications or treatments or addressing it as opposed to just banging your head against the wall because you don't know what the diagnosis is. And I know I'm going to refer back. We had an episode with our friend Chris from ChrisHasAutism.com, and he was an adult who was diagnosed with autism. And he wasn't until – I mean obviously he is high-functioning, but it wasn't until he was an adult where he was diagnosed. And he was so relieved when he got that diagnosis. He was like, I couldn't figure out why I was different, why I couldn't do things that all of my you know, typical friends were able to do. And so it was kind of a godsend to him for that to happen. So, Leslie, as our ADHD professional, um, if I suspect that one or more people in my home <laughs> might benefit from <laughs> exploring a diagnosis, you suggested, I asked, oh, hey, do I just go to my GP? Like, where do we go? And you said, I would not go to a GP. Can you speak to this, please? Yes. Um, I would recommend that you, you could get a recommendation from your GP. I would not recommend they do the treatment. Um, and there's a few reasons, um, mostly because uh, a GP making that decision and taking those steps there are a lot of mistakes that can be made because they usually don't have the full understanding of ADHD. Um, and that's just my opinion. As you guys mentioned earlier, um, you know, I am not, you know, none of us are doctors, but, um, just from a lot of the reading I've done, my own personal experience with myself and my children, actually my, um, general petition, uh, practitioner, excuse me, was doing, uh, managing mine for part of it. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot that's not going right here. Um, and it wasn't just my experience. It's, you know, it's, it's just like mental health. I wouldn't recommend that either. Um, and a lot of people go to their general practitioner for that. Um, but the thing is, is at the end of the day, they are trained for, they aren't trained for that. They aren't trained for ADHD. They're not trained for depression or, you know, any mental health area. They, they know of it, but that's not their specialty. And it'd be, and I'm trying to explain this in the best way that I can without being insulting um, to anybody. But I kind of had to, took a step back. And when they, she was not fully understanding how ADHD works, and she was like, well, at this point of the day, we'll not have you on the medication or we'll, you know, pull it back. I realized it's because she doesn't understand how ADHD is. I'm severely ADHD combined type, and dry, my driving is impacted by it. <laughs> um and to make decisions on, like, when somebody's going to get their medication or not going to get their medication or how it's, you know, for parts of the day or the dosages. And not understanding that that, for example, goes down to something as small as or large as driving because they think your work day is over. Um, or even just cooking a dinner for my family. That's when you realize that's a specialty. And I was thinking, I take my kids to a specialist for their ADHD and, and many other things, why would I not take myself to a specialist? I don't go to my general practitioner for dental work. I don't go to them for when I have a severe breakage, in my, you know, or whatever, a heart condition. Why would I do that? 
or my mental health or for ADHD. I'm so glad that you said that. Um, I live in a really, really small town, so I might have to like explore outward of that. Right. Um, but I actually had to go online for my, um, mental health, which really helped. I was able to do like virtual stuff like that. I was just about to recommend Um, telehealth for like a version of telehealth. Yep. (laughs) That's really great. And, and that's, you know, if we have anybody who lives in a smaller town, don't be afraid to reach out virtually. The suggestion initially came from my um, therapist, who was actually a psychologist, and she was the one that sent, she ended up sending me to my GP to just get the testing. Um, but luckily, mine is excellent. She she was fine. She gave me the test. She actually had my husband um, answer the questions about me so she could get a bigger picture. Um, and, you know, so it wasn't just me. It was someone else who could look at my behavior and say, you know, yes, she does X, Y, Z. But when it came to medication, um, I had to go to a psychiatrist yes. in or, order to get medication. Or there are actually therapists who are have their nurse practitioner mm-hmm. license. I mean, there's so many options now, but absolutely. Yeah, no, it was, and, and that was something that I didn't realize because, I mean, we initially had with my son and his pediatrician was the one who, you know, we did the Vanderbilt assessment and did all that and and he was prescribing the medication and um, and I had to go to a psychiatrist in order to get the medication. But my GP was very upfront and saying, like, this is not something that, you know, I should handle. This is something you need to speak to this about. And, you know, and it, my psychiatrist is telehealth. Um, I've got a program through my insurance, but... Um, I know there are some online telehealth ones, especially during the pandemic that came out. But um, I was told to go, um, and I've been told by several people, like Psychology Today is a good website to go to in order to find out stuff in your area. Um, And some that will specifically say, you know, whether or not they can handle those kind of, you know, if they deal with ADHD or what they deal with. and that's a good place for people to start for any kind of mental health is like go to psychology today, which sounds kind of, you know, like it should be, it's not a great website, but it's, it's really helpful to find stuff in your area and see their bios and see what that is. Yeah, so, so on, on psychology today, you can filter for what um, issues that you want to find someone who specializes in. So you can filter like by location or by does this person deal with ADHD or depression or these things, or are they mainly like marriage and family or whatever? So you can, yeah, psychology is a good place to start. Yeah. And especially if you need a man or a woman, you know, depending on what you need, you know, what you're comfortable with or um, just their background is, you know, you can get really specific on it. And it's a great way for people to to kind of find mental health because everybody should take care of their mental health. So let's say, okay, you've decided your child has been diagnosed with ADHD and now it's time to do some kind of treatment. Um, CDC and most professionals, and I think most people they want you to do behavior therapy before you even consider doing medication. Um, Leslie, can you speak to what different kinds of behavior therapy is or what that might be or look like or sound like or anything? Yes. I mean, kind of to that point. So, I mean, and I'm sure most of you having been educators, the first thing parents say is I don't want, (laughs) sorry, I'm outside, obviously. Anyway, (laughs) um, I don't know how much it's picking up, but anyway, um, Having been an educator and anybody who has taught, the first thing parents often say is, and and I'm sure anyone in the medical field, I don't want to label my child or I don't want them to make this. I don't want the school to force me to medicate. 
And that was always so devastating to me that parents think that schools have that authority, first of all. And second of all, that they, that that's the fear um, because uh, Count actually rec- uh, mentioned earlier that um, it doesn't hold them back from anything. It doesn't keep them back from being successful. And if anything, it only gives us that look to what, where can we build their strengths? Where can we focus in on where they can be successful? And how can we help support them? How can we accommodate them so that they can do better? Um, and getting that diagnosis often just helps us see into the picture better because much like what he's mentioning in the group chat is that now we're just looking at, okay, what is causing these behaviors? Because trauma can look like it. Um, you know, and there's many other possible diagnoses because none of us are doctors. We're just teachers seeing these behaviors that could be caused by so many things, much like you said, a a change in their lives, not blaming families, just more looking in. Um, And then sometimes things just become more apparent or agitated because they already were, obviously they were ADHD, but having these um, things getting more increasingly challenging or the demands being higher, maybe some extra stressors in life have made it harder for them to manage their ADHD. Anyway, going to the alternate, when I talk to the parents, I always would assure them, you're not required to do, te- you know, technically anything, but this allows them, for example, to have a 504. Um, this allows you to approach um, with a more knowledge as to what they have needs for. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one approach um, that I highly recommend. I actually, that's what I use for myself and my children. One of the alternate uh, recommended therapies. So I don't know if anyone else has experience with cognitive behavioral therapy and wants to speak to it. I do have experience with um, with CBT as far as for therapy. It wasn't specifically for ADHD, but for me. Um, and it is, um, I don't want to get too personal, but it, 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 it did help. And it's, it's helpful to kind of realize where in your area um, or of your life where um, the ADHD may be causing issues because there's things that I didn't realize was a problem for me um, or that this may be ADHD. I thought it was me. Um, you know, the fact that I will craft, and, you know, and, and abandon it. Um, I, you know, and I don't finish projects that, you know, a lot of these things and getting diagnosed and doing the kind of behavioral therapy helped me realize some things that I just thought were kind of like my own moral failings or something. Um, and it's a bit dramatic, but were part of this, this disorder. And it was just my brain making me do this. And then it's like, Oh, now, um, you know, being able to, and you said like, you know, Chris, um, when he got his autism diagnosis, he was relieved. And I was relieved when I realized a lot of this stuff, you know, wasn't necessarily my fault. Um, and I think therapy definitely, definitely helped with that. I think it also helps to kind of attend to an account. I think would be a great person to speak to this a little better, but I feel like it also helps you attend to that because you are now noting that those are behaviors are not shameful behaviors, but also how do I attend to those behaviors in a way that's um, helpful to me? And so now that I acknowledge them, what can I do to help myself and be not necessarily more productive? I mean, how can it help me be, I I don't want to use this word productive because sometimes that's not always the goal. CBT, um, 
just I think at, at its core, like in terms of principles, you're looking at changing um, what we would call like unhelpful ways of thinking. Um, and then also like remedying learned patterns of behavior and what I would say learned patterns of unhelpful or negative behavior. Um, and the reason why this is so effective is because not only do you get to uh, do the, I won't say dirty work, but do the, the, the hard task of finding out what the um, unhealthy or unproductive behaviors are, you then can start the process of like implementing a new way of changing that and getting a better understanding of like how that behavior affects daily life for you. Um, and then there's also like problem solving skills and coping skills with those as well. Um, but it literally starts to change your behavioral patterns. And that's why I was saying like earlier, it's just a little different than, uh, when someone says like, Hey, I, I think my kid might have ADHD because parents might come in and say that, or they might have ADD and they immediately want to get a diagnosis and then want some form of medication to remedy it. But it's not always that simple because, um, you know, as well as I do, teenagers go through a myriad of emotions and changes at certain points and they're exposed to a lot of things. Like we said, it could have been trauma, something life changing. And then all of a sudden it looks like, or it could be seen as maybe it's an ADHD or ADD type of a deal, but it's not. Um, the, the CBT is useful um, if, if there is that buy-in. It's, it's not easy, um, but it is um, it can be life-changing, I'll say that. We're going to move on just to briefly talk about medication. Generally, the CDC does not approve of medicating children under the age of six for ADHD. They want you to try behavior therapy. They also want training for parents. And this is a big part of behavior therapy. It's not just at school. It's not to train your kids. They want the parents to be involved so that they can assist and they can see what's going on. Because it's not just something that affects them at school. We had talked, or Leslie mentioned earlier, about how a student might, okay, you can take medication, and that should get you through the school day. Well, sometimes kids need it longer than that. They need it at the dinner table. They need cleaning their room. They need it doing their homework. It's not just during the school day to make them sit down and shut up. Though that's sometimes what they want. And there, there are several different types of medication. It breaks down to two very basic categories, stimulants and non-stimulants. Stimulants are most of your best known and most widely used ones. These are the Adderalls, the Vyvanse, the old school Ritalin. I don't think anyone's actually prescribed Ritalin anymore. I think Adderall is kind of the base that they go to. And those pretty much between 70 to 80% of children who take those medications have less symptoms. But here's my personal, personal thing about the medications is the medications are great, but at some point the child might not want to take medications. They might not like the way it feels and they will need to develop coping skills. And I feel medications can help in extreme cases to give the child a break. And so they can help form those coping skills. They can come up for air for a little bit. However, I don't like the idea of someone, okay, you're on this, now you're on it for the next six years, or you're on this for the rest of your life. And maybe some people do need that, but I do not believe, I do not feel that it should be the general 
population of ADHD having people or diagnosed people that, hey, you have to be Medicaid forever. There's also- No, I love medication because <laughs> it, okay. it, it actually helped a lot. Um, I was super resistant to it um, because my, I, you know, I said I don't have any experience. I mean, the only thing I really knew um, was, you know, when you were growing up, these kids who had ADHD, they were, you know, they were hyper and they were bad, you know, and it wasn't until college that I really- met people who actually, you know, use the term AD, they said ADD, um, but, you know, they had Ritalin, but that was like, you know, they'd be popping it during study sessions or something. They didn't really use it in the way that they probably were intended. Um, and so I didn't have a whole experience with medication. So um, I was really resistant because I didn't want to medicate my kid. I didn't know what was going to do to it um, or do to him. But um, my pediatrician was is, is really great. And his comment was, you know, we will do, you know, whatever you need. And he said, but it's not going to be you or the school that decides he needs to be medicated. It needs to be kind of like him and his behavior. Cause when it becomes, you know, cause initially he just didn't, he didn't, wasn't aware that he was having any issues. We were aware, but he was just, you know, a little kid at school. Um, he said, but when he starts noticing that he's different from other kids, it's going to start affecting him emotionally. And he's going to want to try, and he's not going to be able to, and that's going to start wearing on him. He, we, we, you know, they could get anxiety, depression, you know, um, depending on how aware of it he is. And so that's when we need to start discussing medication is when it starts affecting him and how he feels, um, you know. And so, and so that stuck with me. And then it was about. I think the beginning of third grade, it was in the middle of the pandemic um, when we're like, you know what, let's go ahead and give it a try. Um, and he's on uh, Focalin, which is one of the stimulants. It's related to like Ritalin and all those. But um, it's great for him um, because <laughs> he just needs just a, he needs a little bit of a nudge. And um, it you can hear it when it kicks in because he has a thing where he. It's not a tick or anything, but he will repeat the same phrases over and over to himself or sing the same, you know, little bit of a song over and over. And if you watch him, he'll be sitting there reading a book and doing it, and all of a sudden he'll just get quiet. And you can tell when his medication kicks in because it just shuts down a little part of his brain that um, is going off and helps him focus. Um, and he is was on one where he took two pills um, during the day. I think it's like five milligrams. And now he's on an extended release. Um, and we're going to keep evaluating. I actually have to give him an appointment because they get checked, I think, every six months. Um, and, you know, we're watching him and seeing, you know, how he does with it. And they did say that hormones affect. So um, <laughs> waiting for puberty because um, we need to uh, judge and reassess on how well his medication is doing. Um, but I was not a fan, um, or I just didn't have enough knowledge. And now that I do, I am, I think it is helpful for some kids. Um, but this was after we tried other things and realized that he was starting to feel bad about himself because he could not be like normal, like the other kids. And that's heartbreaking. So just kind of to add on to a few things. Um, so with my kids are on medication as well. Um, they are uniquely on a blood pressure medication. Um, I do, I, they have been on two different ones and I'm not going to even name them because I don't want to sit here and fumble on them. Um, because they've switched recently. Um, they actually, their ADHD and autism, they kind of, they definitely struggle with, um, like, you know, having what's called meltdowns. 
so they escalate very quickly um, during stressful situations. Um, and it kind of helps them, kind of what uh, Zola was speaking to, like you can see when it, the medication hasn't been taken, um, when one of their parents has forgotten to give it because mom's an a- mom has ADHD. <laughs> um, and so anyway, you can definitely see there's like more hyperactivity um, for sure. And you can see some of the um, impulsivity comes into play and also uh, more aggression um, when anxious. Um, they just can't take certain things. And um, so I'm not anti-medication, but I definitely was uh, trying the approach of doing therapy first and uh, looking through their IEP to kind of um, help them, support them as well. The other things I always, I don't know if this is, I feel like it's not well known, but uh, ADHDers tend to be also deficient in a lot of areas uh, with our vitamins, um, or we don't absorb things quite the same. It's just a common it's a comorbidity also. So I recommend people kind of get things checked out in that area as well. Um, I don't know if many people are aware of that. Really? Like, like, what can I ask? What types? I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely. A lot of us are low on vitamin D anyway, most people, but particularly ADHDers, uh, B12. Um, I cannot think of one of the, there's another one that kind of helps you absorb a lot of the others. Magnesium. Um, Magnesium, thank you. I was like, it starts with an M, but I kept thinking of something else and was like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that, so that's a handful of examples. Um, anemia is very common as well, so iron. Um, so a lot of times if you're severely deficient, it will cause, of course, other issues in your life, like how your brain functions and how you feel. Um, it can there are a lot of other things out of whack, right? Your emotions or how you're thinking, your cognitive abilities. So um, I often, especially with the teenager clients, I always ask them, like, have you had those things checked? Um, because those are just basic things that can get, you know, kind of help along the way as well. I think there was another thing you mentioned. Oh, one more thing about females. As we get older, estrogen and our hormones have a huge play. That's where a huge difference is. So between males and females, we function fairly similarly, but the two things, and I'm sorry not to kind of go way, way back, but the bigger things that kind of have an impact on females and why we tend to look like we function differently, there are hormones that come into play, but a lot of times it's just social, societal expectations. We're shamed more for being and behaving a certain way, um, and the expectations are different. So, um, But estrogen for women, for example, can have a huge play in the way that our ADHD can be. And when we talk about things like the, the vitamin deficiencies, it, you said that, and those are the things my doctor, when they run a blood panel, tell me I take supplements. So you need more magnesium, you need more iron. <laughs> and if you think about where you get a lot of these nutrients, a lot of times besides vitamin D, it's from leafy greens and vegetables. And those are some of the hardest things to get a kid to eat is some of your hard greens. Like, are you going to eat a bunch of spinach today, little Billy? Because no, they don't want to eat spinach, but that's where you're going to get extra iron. That's where you're going to get the extra magnesium from a lot of the fruits. And so it's important to incorporate that diet. And they might exasperate. I know with my daughter, the times when she has protein, because she is not. I was about to get into that. Uh, yeah, she mainly wants to eat carbs. She, her favorite food is beige. Yes. Like beige. <laughs> that's what she likes, mostly carbs. 
And so if I know she has an important day, I will try to make sure she has produce the night before. And the other thing is I have to make sure that she has some viable source of protein for breakfast, not just milk and cereal, but like, I'm sorry, you need to have some sausage or you need to have this. You just need to have something in your system because if all you have is a waffle and some sugar, you're going to struggle a lot harder than you would so, have eaten a better meal. Go ahead, Leslie. So, oh, no, that's okay. You're making so many great points. Um, so one of the things that they recommend is starting the day with protein to help ADHD or self-regulate, uh, focus and things of that nature. So I try to do like honey and peanut butter, mix them together and slap it on the waffle. It's not my kid's favorite thing, but <laughs> it's like less compromise here, you know, as much as we can. Um, or flipping it into a pro like a shake, not a protein shake, but I would do this one that's like peanut butter or something. It's really sweet. Um, but getting that alongside with the waffle. So like doing like a half and a half thing. So just some recommendations, but they recommend protein all throughout the day for ADHD because it does help us stay a little more even keeled and focused. And so if that's a student in your classroom, you might want to check that, hey, have they had access to breakfast that morning? Have they had access to the free breakfast at school? Are they eating lunch at lunchtime or are they just running off to go see their friends and socialize because they've been contained so long they have to run around? These are all great things. The last thing I want to talk, we talked about genetics and how it affects some of our, our bodies. With, you know, it's especially I Bunny had a, a light bulb moment that came on there. Um, as an older adult with ADHD, my hearing is gone, or at least I thought my hearing was going. And so I went to an audiologist to have my hearing tested. And they're like, oh, well, we c-. they have all kinds of crazy tests. They say, we can show by reading the nerves in your ear that you are hearing everything the way you're supposed to. However, your brain is having a hard time processing things that are on your right side. And I was like, I don't understand. So my ear is damaged. Yes. They said, is this my ear? And she's like, no, what seems to happen is that as you've gotten older, like you're, you hear the sound waves come in. I'm not sure which side of the brain it is because I I can't remember, but the audio signal goes in one side of your ear and it can either go directly to the, the audio processing side, or it has to process from one side to the other side of your brain and then bounce back before it can get to where it needs to be. And with a lot of people who have ADHD, as they get older, their brain kind of gets tired and doesn't want to do this. It gets less patient. And so if you're hearing something on a certain side where you might have to process it, say it's in a noisy room, in a restaurant, in a concert, you just can't – you have to focus so much harder to hear on that side. It's not because your hearing is damaged. It's because your ADHD brain is fucking with you. And that blew my mind. And I was like, so I don't need hearing aids? She said, hearing aids aren't going to help you at all. She said, you just need to adapt. I was like, oh, well, thanks. She was saying, if you want like another $2,000 in testing, we can fine tune. And I was like, no, you answered my question. My hearing's just, my hearing's fine. My brain's broken. That works. Um, Bunny, you, you seem to have a few light bulb moments. Would you go ahead? The auditory processing, I had kind of a light bulb moment recently with like, I'm hearing like when my husband says something to me and I'm, you know, watching TV or something, I'm like, I know that the sound is coming in, but it's like it takes my my brain a second to realize, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. And when I'm in a loud room, like at school, because the subject that I teach involves a lot of like collaboration and kids being out of their seats and up wandering around and all this kind of stuff. I will sometimes have to get a kid to repeat something two or three times because my brain can't lock in on just their voice because I'm hearing 
and attempting to process so many other things that are going on. Like, I can't make my brain zone in on just that one thing. It, I, you know, was, I, I seriously had the same kind of like, do I need to get my hearing tested? And it's like, no, I can still hear quiet sounds and I can still hear different pitches. I just can't zone in on just one. Well, now comes, we've talked about diagnosis. We've talked on some different treatments. We've talked about what it is and potential causes. And as we talk about things that can help, as it said earlier, there are also things that can make your child or a student in the room more distracted and have a harder time. Sometimes students, while sugar is not going to make them have ADHD, it can still make them a little hyper. If your child is having a hard time sleeping or focusing, if you can help or get parent control to help them put their phone away so they're having a little less screen time, that can help. But of course, screen time is not the cause of the problem here, but it can exacerbate the symptoms. And so can diet as well. But let's talk about some tips and things you can do in your classroom to try to help these kids. And I'm going to go through a list that I've managed to got offline. And then I'm going to have everyone else jump in with things they can do. But these are some classroom things. But they can also work at home or even just for yourself personally. And so the first one is create a routine. Try to have the same schedule every day in your classroom that's not going to throw the child off. So they know what to expect and what's coming in. That helps going in every time. Also to be organized. If you have a place where the students put their work, where the tissues are, where any, like if their bags go, or if they have a place to put jackets in the classroom, make sure that you have everything organized so it's not just chaos because they will get lost in the chaos because they want to look at it all and take it all in, or it just, they can't help themselves. That goes as well as with managing distractions of the student. If there are things in your classroom that might make it noisy, like if there's alarms that go off, if there's a TV that you have on in there, um, a clean workspace for the children can also help them and help modify it. Another thing, and this often gets presented in ARDS and puts in kids' BIPs and IEPs, is to limit choices. And so instead of saying, okay, guys, we're going to do this, 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 five or seven steps, make it simplified for those students. Also make sure you're being clear and specific when you're listing these choices. Say, okay, today we're going to do A and we're going to B. You can use your pens or your pencils or markers or crayons. Very, very specific. And then help the child plan. Let them, you know, have part of it if you can. I, uh, we talk about class buy-in all the time with students. And so if you can have your kids and students help come up with some of the ideas that sometimes help with buy-in and that will help them go along with it. And then if you do have like students that are being successful, make sure you are praising them in ways that they can see and track. A chart is really good. I know this is leans more towards elementary than high school or middle school, but this is a, one of those periods where if you can get some of these down, it will really help these students' skills as they go into high school. And also make sure you're doing effective methods of discipline. Don't just ostracize the child or point them out in the middle of the group if they are having a hard time sitting still or if they're chatting or if they're reading a book. Maybe pull them aside and speak quietly. Remind them what the consequences could be if they are doing you know, inappropriate behavior. And also make sure that you have positive opportunities for these child. Try to give any child in your classroom some opportunity for success. You know, most teachers would say that's just best practices, right? And I think that that, with everybody having best intentions, that absolutely would be. Um, I think as far as um, 
giving them opportunities, kind of what you were saying, giving everybody an opportunity to be a leader or to show that you can trust them. Um, even the kids that you are like, mm, I'm not so sure. Um, giving them something that gives them a moment of uh, an opportunity for success, knowing where their strengths are um, and giving those moments to lead in those those times. Um, some of my kids that would be labeled behavioral issues, speaking to them and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this job per se. You know, like you said, this may be more towards elementary, but even with high schoolers, it's maybe not labeled as a job, but this is going to be your role in this project or in this uh, activity or whatever. Um, and this is the expectation. And I know you can do it because I've seen you do X, Y, Z. And when you put that out there and you are being genuine, kids pick up on that, teens pick up on that, all ages pick up on that. And that's showing the trust and the knowledge of that skill set that that person has. And there's a lot that can be built from that between the rapport as well as um, the self-esteem. And there's something huge to be gained from that. In, in terms of best practices or just for maximizing student success, um, is to, um, you, you have, I, I think it always helps to be strategic about where students are placed in classes, um, and to make sure you highlight every success. Um, it is so essential to highlight the success to allow students to continue to build off of that. Um, and I think that's mostly because if we don't highlight the success, students will find the failure and clinging to failure seems to be a uh, it, it's easier for students to cling to failure than it is to search and find success if that makes sense mm. at all but I think it's it's key mm. to make sure that um, when in classrooms that you don't obviously single out or point out but we do as much as we can to enhance the strengths um, to continue to focus on that, to allow students to build and grow and foster that. And then on top of that, I'm always, I've always been very, very big on relationships. I think it is absolutely great to establish good rapport with students because um, then you can continue to feel like you're on a journey towards success together and, the, and that they matter. For me, being, uh, being a teacher and having ADHD myself and then also like with students with ADHD I've already I kind of mentioned before about the auditory processing thing I have to have stuff written down and so I always try to make sure that with my students anytime we're doing an activity or an assignment I say the directions out loud and explain it but I also write the steps or the bullet points up on the board or up on the screen or have step-by-step bullet point kind of things for them to go down the list and say, okay, did you do this? Did you do this? Um, I, I go through more post-it notes in a school year because I have to write things down or they will completely be just out of my brain. Um, small, small chunks of information at one time, like not just, uh, Sorry, I'm reading the comments here, too. Not just, like, a whole block of everything all at once, like, just one or two steps at a time. Okay, 
you're finished with that. Okay, cool. Now do this thing and this thing. Okay, you're done. Totally with those stealing your linking like like have you done this? Have you done that? I am stealing that one hundred percent. Um Yes. Uh Leslie, maybe you can uh speak to this. I know that we kind of mentioned at one point um in a conversation about dyslexia. I'm I'm remembering many, many moons back in an episode that we talked about um dyslexia and how there's are certain fonts that are more friendly to um dyslexia brains processing what they're seeing are there any fonts because in the in the chat leslie is here saying um printed versus being on a screen is better are there if there is something that's typed like a handout or whatever are there certain fonts or spacing things or anything like that that are helpful do you know oh that's really interesting because i just saw something the other day that and i can't remember what they were calling it because that's where my weakness is. They were saying like, I think it's called like an enhanced text or enhanced font. And I, I apologize that it may be easier for ADHDers to speed read things or read things more easily. Um, I don't know. I can't speak to like actual font. Um, I, and like you were saying, just uh, dyslexia, I had a lot of students with dyslexia, suspected dyslexia because I taught second grade primarily. Um, and that was, I know that like things on dark pages or something, but anyway, going back to ADHD, um, we were told as educators to use different font because I was early elementary to get them accustomed, right. To different fonts. But then as an, with my students, if I wanted something to be communicated well to them, um, and make sure it was clear, like if they had to do more independent like have more independence on the assignment. I tried to use just some of the more distinct, easier to read fonts. And for the life of me, I'm like, is it, was it Arial or, you know, there's just certain fonts that were just a little easier to read and more clear um, with their lettering. Um, particularly, like I said, when you're working with elementary students where if the A doesn't look exactly like a lowercase A, they're questioning it. Um, but uh, printing it, the reason I say printing it is because um, transferring things from a screen, like if you wanted them to take down a, a question prompt or something of that nature off the screen, um, that was very difficult for a lot of ADHDers. And so I would print that sheet and have it at the front of the room and they were allowed, I had a very uh, flexible classroom as far as seating and things of that nature. So they were allowed to just, if hey, if you wanna come up here, you can use these you know, one or two printouts that I have. And you'd be amazed. And of course, that kind of shows you too, like kids that might need glasses, kids that might have ADHD, you know, all the different kids that are possibly struggling. And some kids just had a preference. Um, but transferring things off a screen onto their paper is a, apparently a common issue and a good accommodation that they recommend. I did a little bit of Googling a second ago. On, I was just about um, to ask. I was like. <laughs> um, called Focus Sans. And there's an extension that teachers and students and people can get on a desktop or mobile browser that will change all paragraphs to that. Um, I saw Space Paintings put another one. I haven't seen what that one is. But it has Comforta. a. 
I love Comforta. My kids with dyslexia says that it really helps them. If I do Comforta Bold. The Comforta one works. Focus Sands. There's several. I'm not sure exactly what they do to enhance, but if they work, they work. People who are better with brains <laughs> use those. <laughs> <laughs> I read um, something. I want to say I read something somewhere about serif versus sans serif. Okay. Yeah. Those is better for... I want to say it's sans serif because there's fewer of like the little lines and things. And, uh, but that just makes it a little bit clearer and a little bit easier to read possibly, but I could be getting that completely mixed up. So I don't know. Ignore me. That's why I didn't want to speak to the font. <laughs> I was like, I just know it. Like when looking at it, it looked more like the letter shapes that they had traditionally learned that's what I use just being an elementary teacher but then there's also like I said this enhanced font that's coming out and I'm sure people know from just being on social media um there's it's like they bold the first couple letters or so and that's supposed to help but there's a there's a method to the madness obviously uh do you happen to have any experience with teachers getting accommodations for ADHD I was going to say there are places that you can get accommodations for adults um, and advocating. I will say that I did. I struggled as a teacher personally and resigned early um, in the school year, but I had a lot of things going on personally um, in my life because um, there's just a lot of things going on for me and my children. But um, afterwards, looking back, there are a lot of ways to advocate for yourself in the workplace as an adult. Um, it's interesting Forbes actually produces a lot of articles about it um, there is also you know um, once diagnosed formally you can get um, accommodations I would speak with your HR um, and also look up under ACLU as well um, there are better resources beyond that but um, definitely look into your rights in the workplace Forbes, ACLU, um, all actually produced some really great articles and information. And that was the other one I was trying to remember. So <laughs> they all have really great information. And what I was saying was I would highly encourage you to do your research on your rights uh, in the workplace because we do, um, because we do have rights to accommodations. And I was, and I'm sorry, I'm talking as if, reviewing anyway um one of the biggest mistakes i feel i did make was that i didn't speak about having adhd until it was too late um we i did have a lot going on with my personal life as well you know with my children and then my own um health that was actually probably related likely related to my adhd and when i did start speaking to having needs i didn't actually formally ask for accommodations and I didn't go to my HR and speak about it. And so I do often encourage people to make requests for accommodations through their HR to understand their rights. Um, of course, do your research prior, but there is a wealth of information out there um, before approaching your HR. Uh, because I will say that my school did do some pretty large missteps that were not legal. And legitimately laughed at me when I spoke about the terms that, you know, things that they were doing that were inappropriate. Mm. 
illegal. <laughs> and, um, but things were already pretty far in the game, if you will. So I highly encourage people to look, you know, to get that diagnosis, to, um, like to request those accommodations formally in writing. And, um, I know Zola had just mentioned ADA. Yeah. Um, and absolutely through there, like I said, ACLU, Forbes even is starting to produce articles about having ADHD in the workplace. And it's just actually been a really great turn of events because like I said, I ended up resigning and it was just all too much. My health got so bad in the conjunction. And again, you know, that's another separate piece with comorbidities. Um, but I just highly, highly cannot say enough to ask for those accommodations because it'll, it can make us think very, very challenging. I was, what, sort of, what sort of accommodations oh. have you seen for for employees, like for workers, that might be different than what we do for our students? It's actually kind of along the lines of PLC, but maybe my strength isn't producing newsletters, and but my coworker doesn't like making. This is actually something that was was worked out amongst myself and a coworker. She loved making the homework packets. I loved making the homework packets. And it was something I could get motivated by. There's a lack of motivation a lot of times with ADHD. And it was not an intentional lack of motivation. It's not laziness, you know. So we would switch. We switched. She could make newsletters all day. Um, it took me like a lifetime. Homework packets took me no time at all. And so we switched that task. And it was a simple uh, changeover. So every time she had to make homework packets, I just did them. And every time um, I needed to do newsletters, she did, did them for me. And it was a fair trade-off. It was a simple switchover. And it's actually the PLC mentality. Um, so using a combination of that as well as it's basically, it would also fall in line, I would imagine, with accommodations. But um, that was one that I personally experienced. Um, another one would be uh, appropriate breaks within the workday. I would imagine um, having like a stand-up desk would be another one. Um, there could be little simple things of tools that you might need. Um, but I would, again, I've not actually known people to move forward. They usually choose not to because they're too embarrassed. Um, I will say I'm, I'm going to get my soapbox. Y'all know how I love doing that. Um, under Title I, under American with Disabilities Act, you're entitled to these. And I know a lot Absolutely. of people. Yeah. And people, like you said, it was, it's embarrassing. They're not doing you a favor. If you have a diagnosis and it is affecting your work, you are entitled to reasonable accommodations. What that reasonable means, that's different. But you're entitled to accommodations. So for anything, even for ADHD, but if there's anything with your health and your, you know, how you are that is affecting your work, then, you know, go through the steps, look online. Um, I think it's like Job Accommodation Network. Yeah. Um, it, you know, has source of information. Um, Reddit sometimes <laughs> will have stuff. I mean, look for what, you know, for, you know, get the information you need, but they're, your workplace is not doing you a favor and you are owed these and just keep, remember that. And if you get a lot of pushback, I mean, I know it's, it's easier said than done, but um, this is something you are entitled to and don't let them tell you no, you know, like I said, easier said than done. But, um, you know, that's, that's heartbreaking that, you know, people are not able to, you know, continue with a job that they're very good at and have passion for because of people not 
giving them a slight accommodation, and that shouldn't happen. And don't let them do that to you, if possible. Hey, guys, guess what? 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 We have a Patreon. Yeah, that's so true. We have a Patreon. And if you like this podcast and the things we talk about, you can help support us. Join our Patreon. And for as little as five to ten dollars a month, you can get all kinds of extra content, bonus episodes on our Patreon right now. We have about ninety six Extra episodes, bonus contents, interviews with hosts. I did an interview, a very short one, with Leslie earlier today. If you want to hear just a little bit more about her and her history and how she got to where she is now, you can listen to that on the Patreon. And you can sign up. Oh, we also have an amazing Facebook group that is only for patrons of the podcast where you can chat with, you know, like-minded teachers. We're not all the same. we got different views and beliefs, but we do support each other a lot. So I hope you can sign up. It helps us out and it helps you out. So do it now. Woohoo! Yeah! All right, my friends, we've covered a lot of information today. We've talked about ADHD. We talked about, you know, how it's a neurodevelopment disorder that most likely it's genetically linked. It's not something that's caused by eating too much sugar or, you know, watching TV all the time. However, time or having a crappy diet or having just a home life that's in turmoil, it can definitely make it worse. Um, Kids and adults with ADD might start to daydream a lot, might fidget, might talk too much, lots of careless mistakes or unnecessary risks. They have a hard time with, you know, temptations. They have a hard time taking terms or getting along with others. And there's also multiple types of ADD and ADHD. And often there are times where they're just combined and they show symptoms of all of it. You can try behavior therapy. You can do diet. You can do medication. There are so many options, but the main important first step is if you think you have this, or if there are students, well, first talk to the counselor and check every single student's IEP and 504 and all of their plans so you can see maybe they already have it and you overlooked it because that can make your life a lot easier if you actually do the recommendations that are in their 504, not to mention you're legally supposed to be doing them all the time. But I can see how it's tough when you have 3,000 kids going through your school and you have 100 or 45 stuff in a classroom. It might be easy to overlook that, but you really need to do your best. Put a mark, find out who these kids are so they can get the benefits. And if there are kids that you think might have this, talk to the counselor and talk to the counselors before you go to the kids. Say, hey, I think you got ADD or before you're the parents. There is a bit of a chain of command to help get kids diagnosed. And if you think you yourself might have ADHD, because a lot of the things we've talked about here um, – you can start with a GP if that's a good starting spot. But honestly, like Leslie was saying earlier, a psychiatrist or sometimes a counselor that has a nurse practitioner on their staff to help with medication or to help with diagnosis is also a good place to go. Because if you go undiagnosed, it can start to affect your mental health. And we talk about it nonstop around here. But your mental health is the one thing you really need to take the reins on. Because if you let it go unchecked, it's going to affect your health, your family, your loved ones, your friends, your relationships, your job. It can all start to go downhill. And it might already be going downhill. So please, please, please get help. Most of these things are covered by your health insurance plan. And then we talked about other things you can do in your classroom to make sure that it just kind of helps the 
classroom management of it all. Make sure you have a routine and stick to it, trying to manage distractions. Follow the students' IEPs. They've been created by experts for a reason, and that way you can give valuable insight when they ask about them at the next ARD meeting. Also, make sure you can just, you know, create positive opportunities and highlight the wins. Count and Leslie both talked about that, where students need to see success. And like Count said earlier, they will remember a failure or being called out for discipline in a shitty way, much more than they're going to remember the win they have. Accentuate like, the positive. That's the word I want. <laughs> Accentuate the positive. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Teacher Needs a Drink. It was a very special episode. I cannot thank my new or my new guest enough for being here today, uh, Miss Leslie Evans. I'm so glad we were able to reconnect over the last two years. Pretty much when I started this podcast, we reconnected. And so I'm glad you have so much great information. I think you're a wonderful source and resource, and I bet you're very good for the parents. Leslie, uh, tell people where they can find you. They can find me on most social media if they type in at V2 Advocacy. Awesome. And I hope you guys do look her up. We're going to have all the resources and everything that we've talked about listed, everything from fonts to websites to the CDC link that we've been using on uh, the information show notes. So if you have any information, you can go look there. My hosts, thank you guys so much for being here today. Every single one of you contributed so much, and I'm so happy you were here. Zola, thank you so much. We don't get you on here enough. I know. It's like my biannual visit, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. It's almost like we had a subject that's close to your heart. And Bunny, I'm glad you were here, too. It's a pleasure, as always. (laughs) You're good. And Count Chocolate, I'm glad you were here. Oh, much appreciation. Thank you, Elvis. You're the best. Oh, no, that's you. And Shirley, I'm so glad you made it. I have to go powder my nose. (laughs) (laughs) all right my friends thank all of you for joining everyone out there make sure you're taking care of your mental health and if you are thinking you might be you know number one let me repeat this again none of us are medical doctors so if you think this might be something that you might have or you might need to be diagnosed or one of your loved ones go talk to a doctor or a specialist and also take care of your mental health everyone out there deep breaths deep drinks cheers All right, my friends, thanks for joining us for another very special episode of Teacher Needs a Drink podcast. That was a teacher's guide to ADHD. I'd like to thank my very special guest, Leslie Evans, for coming and helping out today. You can find her at V. To advocacy on most platforms, TikTok, Instagram. Her TikTok is actually really good. I love her Instagram as well. I suggest you follow her. She's an amazing person. I'd also like to thank my hosts who are helping me today. I'd like to thank Miss Shirley Temper, Count Chocolate, Miss Bunny O'Hare, and of course Miss Zola Zanzibar. Now you might not might not recognize her for much, but she's actually the social media guru. Most of the stuff that she helps out with is on our social media. She is an amazing person. She helps out with a lot of other things as well. But she is a really busy woman, so she doesn't get to be on the podcast that often. I'd also like to thank our host at Lud Lamb Dramatics. That's right. If you are a theater teacher or no one in your building, go to Lud Lamb Dramatics and get all the theater resources. And if you can, tell the theater teacher in your building about them. It's one way of helping us out without having to spend a dime. But if you do have, like, say, an extra $5 a month, maybe even $10, join our Patreon. We have a Patreon and get lots of extra episodes. There's a few cut 
cutscenes from this episode that we didn't have time where we discussed some of the, the dangers of ABA therapy with people who have non-neurotypical minds. And there's also an interview with Miss Leslie Evans on there that's really short, but it's a nice way to get a little insight to her. All right, everyone out there, please take care of yourselves. If you think you might have ADHD or you're concerned about your students, go try to get yourself diagnosed. It's, it's really not that tricky and it might help answer a lot of questions for you and give you another tool in your tool bag. All right, friends, I love you. Take care. Bye.